Recordings of Centrepoint Bathgate Sunday morning sermons are added here each week, so you don't need to miss any of our Bible study series or special topics. We hope you enjoy this recording and can join us for more, either online or in person at Simpson Primary School Bathgate, any Sunday morning at half past ten. All right, good to see you. Now's the time where we go to God's Word, the Bible, and let God speak to us. We are in a little mini-series starting the year out related to the theme of seeking the Lord. Last week we looked at the theme of seeking God personally. Today we're looking at the theme of seeking God in the context of His purpose, our key scripture from last week, the psalm we started with, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, O Lord, your face will I seek. Today we're going to start by reading from the book of Acts, then we're going to go through a, a number of different scriptures to lay a foundation and ultimately look at an application of seeking God that marked the lives of early Christians in the book of Acts. And so, if you'd like to read with me, there are some Bibles about. The words may be up here. If you have a telescope, they may actually be legible. It's all tweakable. We're in Acts chapter 4. We'll start reading in approximately verse 23. Let's read God's Word together, and we'll pray and ask God to give us understanding. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together for just a moment and ask God to give us understanding of His Word. Father, we thank You for this testimony of the earliest of Christians, God, how they sought You. And Father, we open our lives to You this day. We ask that You would come by Your Holy Spirit, that You would illumine us, that You'd give us understanding today. God, draw us fully and centrally into Your purposes, we ask that you would be glorified in our lives, in this church, and in this region. Oh God, we pray in your beautiful name. Amen. 
Oh, we're going to start this morning by laying a little bit of a foundation, look at a, a number of, of verses, sort of quick hit as we go on and, and build a foundation for what God wants to say to us this morning. This theme that I'm wrestling with a little bit is called walking with the Father. And we're looking this morning at the idea of God as our Father. What does it mean to know the Father as the Father? What does it mean to walk with Him and to be close? So first verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, which says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There's a picture here painted in this verse of God inviting us to maturity. Now, you understand at least a little bit about what maturity is. We just released toddlers. Some of us in here are old enough to be pupils in school. Some of us are even a bit beyond that. One of the interesting things as we mature is that we leave, or are supposed to leave, childish things. Now, even adults in this room have their moments. Uh, sorry, kids, that's just the deal. But there's an invitation here. There's an invitation to maturity that we want to explore this morning. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in your mind or heart, ask yourself this for just a moment. Where are you in this maturity quest? How are you doing with Jesus? What's your growth trajectory been like? We're at the beginning of a new year. Are you more mature now than you were a year ago? Or have you regressed? How are you doing in this maturity thing? All right, second scripture, 1 John chapter 2, just laying a foundation here. 1 John chapter 2, perhaps I'll just read it off the screen. I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, as we consider this theme of spiritual maturity here, John writes something really interesting to these Christians. He sort of outlines three broad stages of, of growth or development and references little children, young men, and fathers. And as Savannah asked me prior to the meeting, no, this is not gender specific. This relates to all believers. But notice this, the, the little children, what does he say to the little children? He's writing to them because they know that their sins are forgiven for his namesake and because they know the Father. Uh, that's the beautiful thing when you first come to Jesus. When you have 
not known Him, and you come to this, start this relationship with God, based on what we were talking about earlier, that Jesus bore our sins and was died in, in our place and bore the judgment that should have come to us and was raised from the dead for us, this beautiful revelation that all of our sins, all of it, is washed away. And we're forgiven because of what Jesus did. That's just a beautiful thing. If you have sinned as much as I have in my life, you're really thrilled that it's all washed away. That's what little children in the kingdom relish in. And I picture just little children like the toddlers, a four- or five-year-old who just enjoys sitting in daddy's lap as he's rocking on his rocking chair. You know, three, four, five-year-olds just run up and jump up into daddy's arms and daddy hugs them and that's about all they need. Just a little bit of that, a little bit of playtime, a little bit of food and they're okay. Um, now, there are some aspects of that that I wish children would just sort of stay there. Because it's a beautiful thing. My 20-year-old doesn't run up and jump in my lap. Um, sometimes I wish she did. Most of the time I'm glad she doesn't. Uh, but he goes on, and we don't just want to get stuck there in that little children phase. We don't want to forget that we're forgiven, but there is more into which God leads us. He writes, you young men, I'm writing because you've overcome the evil one. You've gone from just being aware that your sins are forgiven to you're actually wrestling against temptation and sin, and you're winning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you've overcome. You've gone from just sitting in Daddy's lap, now you're out there engaged in this thing a little bit. You're, you're, you're wrestling, you're, you're, you're fighting, you're standing strong. There's some spiritual strength about you. There's some vigor. You're getting something done. You've taken a step in the growth process. And then I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. It says the same thing twice. What is that about fatherhood? It's not that they've forgotten they're forgiven and it's not that they're not wrestling against sin and the devil. It's that the thing that marks fatherhood is that their perspective has changed. They know him who has been from the beginning. They have stepped into the father's perspective. They have embraced the way that the father thinks. Their perspective is eternal. So a little toddler, a three-year-old, four-year-old, all they need is a little, some food on the table, good place to sleep, uh, a hug from daddy, and they're fine. Um, teenagers need a little bit more than that. Um, but the good thing about teenagers, for those of you who only have babies and nappies and toddlers, is that they get to an age where they're able to help with chores. It's a beautiful thing. The three-year-olds, when you have your chore meeting and say, okay, family, it's time to do chores, those two- and three-year-olds, they're not doing a whole lot to contribute. 
They're just happy to be part of the family. But the 14-year-olds, they can grab a bucket and a sponge, and they can get engaged in chore time. Woo! They're wrestling. They're putting some energy into this thing. But sometimes their perspective or their attitude needs a little tweaking and adjustment. They, they're just teenagers. They're young men. They, they've not yet developed into that perspective of the father. What's the difference there? A teenager might do chores, but grudgingly, the father's got this attitude of, I understand what this is about. Like if you filtered this through finances, for example, a toddler, they don't care where the money comes, it buys the food, they just want you to feed them. A teenager is like, you know, uh, no, give me some money so I can have a party now. The father's perspective, though, is we're saving up because uh, there's a future out here, and I'm thinking about the long-term perspective. So, again, an invitation to maturity, thinking like the father. Next scripture is in Genesis chapter 1. No, yes, Genesis chapter 1. And we are in verse 26, laying this foundation of a maturity perspective here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, here in the very beginning, as God decided to create people, this is what he said. Let us first, let us make man in our image and let us give him dominion over all this stuff. Translation, the father wants children who look like him and who participate in the family business. Let us make them in our image. The father wants children that look like him, not like the milkman. So the father says, we're going to make the children, these people, in our image. Now, if you read the next chapter, a couple of chapters, you, you discover the, the plot thickens because we let in this thing called sin, which messed up sort of the the whole deal, and marred the image of God in us. But God created us in his image, in his likeness. In Romans chapter 8, Jesus is a look like him, to conform him. But not just that. want to participate in the family business. What's the family business? I've thought about having a little business card printed up that on one side says, Father and Son, Incorporated. And on the back side, it says, we run the galaxy. Just, you know, so what do you do? Oh, we, we run the galaxy. This is what, he, he gives us dominion, sort of our, our little test case, the little playground for learning the family business is dominion on the earth. It's rulership. It's learning how to lead. And it's a beautiful thing. He gives us dominion over all the creeps. It's just a nice thing. Any creeps in your world, God's given you dominion. Take charge. So there's an invitation here to grow up and be like the Father. Now, 
the dream of every son, in some ways, is to be like his daddy until he becomes a rebellious teenager. Then he sort of wants to run away from his daddy. But there's this idea, you know, yeah, I, I respect my daddy and I want to be like him. I don't know if you ever got into my daddy's better than your daddy arguments when you were a little child. I don't maybe that's something boys do. But I remember very clearly in school one day as a seven-year-old at the lunch table getting into an argument with this fella over my daddy's better than your daddy. Now, I don't remember how this conversation started, but I remember the conversation. We're just going, yeah, well, my daddy can do this. Yeah, well, my daddy's so great, he can do this. Yeah, well, my daddy, and we're just going back and forth. And finally, the other fella just looked at me and said, well, my daddy's going to come and burn your house down. I was like, wow. I think you win. What do you say to that? My dad's going to throw water on you? I mean, I, what's the comeback? I, you know, it's like he, he won. But there's this picture that we were both expressing. Our dads are great. And the father is inviting us into this family business. I want to look now at the ministry of Jesus and see Jesus frame this same thing for us here in the Gospel of John. Chapter 4, verse 36, 34. I believe Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. So here Jesus, who I'm guessing we'd all agree was a mature son, Jesus described his nourishment as doing the thing that blessed the Father. That's a mature son perspective. Jesus is saying, I get energized, I get fed, I get spiritually enriched when I'm participating with the Father in the family business. That's the thing that really gets me pumped. That's a mature son perspective. Uh, Mark was out chopping wood yesterday. You say to a three-year-old, Come on, son, come with daddy. We're going to go chop wood. The three-year-old just sort of says, okay, and he grabs his plastic axe because he knows he's just sort of along for the ride. You say to the 14-year-old, come on, son, let's go chop wood. Grab your axe. He goes, okay, grabs his axe and goes and helps, but sometimes grudgingly. The mature son, come on, son, let's go chop some wood. Yes, sir, Daddy, I'm right there with you. That's what marked the life of Jesus, that attitude. That's what Jesus invites us to grow into. Yes, sir, Daddy, I'm right there with you. Now, there is a point of tension here that I want to pause on and open up and wrestle with for just a moment before we go and, and do a walk through the book of Acts. We're going to cover 28 chapters of Acts. And you're going to be amazed by the time we get to the end of this. I promise. Uh, the tension is this. Some of you are perhaps thinking, wait, 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 wait. Tom, th this sounds like you're actually calling us to be active. Wait, 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 wait. You, it sounds like you're trying to imply somewhere, even though you've not said it yet, that you actually want us to do stuff. I thought this whole Christian thing was about being, not doing. Ooh, 
the be-do dichotomy. Wow. Now, there are Greek philosophers from ancient times who argued about what's more basic. Is it being or is it doing? Being or do or do or be or do or be. And then by the time they got to the 50s, somebody put that philosophy to music and it was dooby 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 doo. Um, this is what I want you to see. This is one coin that has two sides. Anytime you separate it, you end up with a false dichotomy. So on one side, we have intimacy with Christ. Intimacy that grows into activity in the world. The false dichotomy is cutting those. If intimacy doesn't lead to activity, it's just something else called deception. If you have activity without intimacy, it's just shallow human works. These two go together. Jesus invites us into relationships, seeking him, being with him, knowing with him, intimately in the private place, and calls us to activity. This is a team thing, this participation in the family business. There's a place for solitude. We don't have time there, but one of my favorite scriptures in the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, after Jesus has been out doing all this stuff, his disciples find him. Where? Being alone with the Father. For Jesus, this was not an either-or thing. Intimacy with the Father fed his activity in the world. Activity in the world fed and drew him back to the Father to get refreshed. They were both going on at the same time. Some people think in a false dichotomy perspective that I really can't do the doing until I get mature. Some people have the perspective that I'm not yet ready for the doing bit because I'm not yet intimate enough with the Father. The idea I'm going to hold out before you today is this. You're not going to mature until you engage in the doing. The thought that you can somehow tick all the boxes on the being side without the doing side is a false Aristotelian dichotomy. Uh, it's a false division that we don't need. So we have abiding and serving the interior life, the exterior manifestation, the calling to relationship, the dominion calling that we read, our calling to know the Father, our calling His work to build character, the invisible, our invisible life with God, the, the visible that's manifested, our real hidden life with God, the life that's reflected externally, restoration in God, application with God. And then on these last two, just for the fun, I twisted the arrow around, just to rattle your cage just a little bit. But the last one is practice leading to perspective. Remember we said that, what is it that marks a father as a father? It's perspective. The idea is this, you won't get the father's perspective without participating in the family business. You want to learn how the father thinks you're going to have to be engaged in what he's up to. And the reason I twisted the arrow on the last one is that I see this in Genesis that the day of rest came after the six days of work. We 
work to rest, not rest to work. I understand that that may violate the holiday culture a bit, the air in which we live, but this is, this is a rabbit trail, but please indulge me this morning. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you read, this call to participate in the family business came before the fall. It came before sin. Work is not part of the curse. Work is part of God's gift and blessing to shape us and mold us to have this father's perspective. So, this being-doing dichotomy, we're called to intimacy and relationship and engagement in this world. So, with all this as a background, now we're actually going to start the message proper. That was just the introduction. So, join me. Some of you are like, wow, I think he's serious. Well, I am serious, but we're going to go quickly. All right, Acts chapter 19, verse 20. I'm going to give you quick, uh, a quick five-hitter here on how the early church lived out these principles that we've been describing. Now, you're noticing that, uh, actually, Peter, would you go back one slide? You're noticing that we started there with number five. A friend of mine is a mechanical engineer, and he gave me a little hint one time. Um, he said, if you ever want to figure out how to do a maze, if you like sort of solving mazes, he said, start at the end, because there's only one way out. Whereas if you start at the beginning, you, you've got all these different, so sort of a, a little cheating help if you like solving a maze. And uh, so today we're actually going to start at the end and walk backwards through the book of Acts and see as we get to the beginning, what was this at the very beginning that actually caused the thing that we're looking at at the end. So that's why we're starting with point number five. In Acts chapter 19, verse 20, it says this, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. When you read the book of Acts, there's this amazing story that's told about this the story, a story about a story, the story of Jesus starting in Jerusalem, and within a 30-year period, it's all over the Roman Empire. The word of God grew mightily and prevailed. It won. It triumphed. You think, how did that happen? It was because they had superheroes, right? Well, no. Uh, they did have some, some pretty cool guys. I mean, you know, you know Paul, he, he, he's up there. Walked with Jesus, he could preach, he could make tents. I mean, he, he could do all kinds of stuff. Paul was an, an amazing guy. But when we get back to the beginning, you're going to see, and it doesn't say it's because they had Paul on their team. That's not what this is going towards. So the Word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right, what led to this word prevailing was number four, which was the proclamation of the gospel. Now, Acts 9.20 is the story of Paul, and I could have picked 15 different examples of this from the book of Acts. The word prevailed because it was preached. People got saved because the gospel was actually spoken. Now, I know that's a radical thought. I know that that rattles our cages a little bit, and we'd love for people to get saved while we're in the prayer closet. But at some point, proclamation, God's word, actually has to come into play. Acts 9.20, that's the story of when Paul came to Christ. 
this guy who had been persecuting the church, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Immediately. He didn't wait until he had been in this thing 20 years and understood the full theological implications of the atonement. He met Jesus, Jesus forgave him, and he told that story. Where did this power, and, and, and this is just one example, this happened all through the book of Acts. Where did this come from, this proclaiming thing? Well, they had a power to do this. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. It says it again in Acts chapter 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot read the book of Acts and ignore the role of the Holy Spirit. The idea of being powerful in proclamation without the Holy Spirit trying to be wet without water, it's just not going not to happen. Now, some of you who like thinking in contradiction said, well, there's paint, there's jelly, there's... To have God's power in proclamation, we need the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, part of what this implies, and I'll just mention this for those of you from Rio Linda, that our relationship with God is not only cerebral, it is a thing of the heart and the soul. It is experiential. These, these believers in Acts had a dynamic relationship with God. Th th this thing was, was interactive. It wasn't just sort of passive. It was an engaged kind of thing, the work of God's Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, how did that happen? What, what came before this filling with the Holy Spirit? Well, this is what we read. Right before this, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to, among other things, prayer. These first believers were devoted to praying. You read through Acts, we read an example of that in Acts chapter 4, how after Peter and John had been released that these, these Christians prayed, and they prayed for boldness. God, fill us with your boldness. We, we don't want to be intimidated by the fact that some of ours just got thrown into prison. Lord, help us. Help us be strong. And that's what they were. They were devoted to prayer. Now, why? Why were they devoted to prayer? Where did that come from? Is it because they were just spiritual, more spiritual than us? I want to hold up before you this idea today that that came because they were living in the promise of Jesus. This is what Jesus told them that prompted them to pray. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. So wait in Jerusalem. Wait for me. Spend some time waiting before me, and I will fill you with my Spirit. And you'll have power to be a witness, and you'll boldly proclaim, and as you do, this gospel will win. And so this time, to start at the beginning, Jesus gave them a promise that motivated them to pray in which place they were endued with power that led to bold proclamation resulting in the progress of God's Word throughout the Roman Empire. And so even though powerful, it's actually quite simple. Father inviting us to grow up and participate 
in the family business, starting with the promises God's made, leading to a lifestyle of prayer, walking in His power, proclamation, and then the results happen. Now, in this context, um, it may be challenging for some of us to correlate something that happened 2,000 years ago, more or less, with today. I mean, this is the year 2012. We're starting a new year. I mean, this is the age of Google and Yahoo and mobile phones and I, this is, and does any of this pertain today in, in modern times? Well, I want to hold out before you the idea that it actually does. And so as we're wrapping up this morning, I want to tell you a story. Um, the uh, picture here is a fellow named Ivan Voronayev. Ivan was a Baptist pastor in Tsarist Russia. And so when the Bolshevik Revolution happened, he, like others at that time, was really afraid. The Tsarist regime had persecuted the church, but if you read anything Lenin had said, you're like, this is not looking real good for believers. And so he got out of Dodge, uh, left Russia, Ukraine, that area, and ended up in the United States and found his way to New York City, where, with some other Christians, he had a powerful encounter with God's Holy Spirit. As a result of that, he started a Russian-speaking church in New York City. And as he was doing that, God started wrestling with him to go back to this land that he had left as a missionary to his own people and take God's gospel back into what is now this burgeoning Soviet Union. And so in 1921, he and his family moved to Odessa and they... Um, began this work of ministry, 1921. By 1928, there were 350 churches that had been started with a membership of over 17,000 believers. Oh, for those of you who aren't math geniuses, that was seven years, 350 churches, 17,000 believers. Now, I'm sure that if we could pause for just a moment and go back in time and find Yvonne and interview him, everything within me wants to say, Yvonne, that happened because you were a genius, or you were talented, or you were gifted, or you were this, or you were that. And I'm sure Yvonne would say, actually, no. It happened very simply because I was willing to obey God and walk in the power of His Spirit and speak His Word. Now, what happened was that after the Soviets came to power, at first they targeted the Orthodox believers in the Russian Empire. So the 20s were actually a great time for the gospel spreading. But they eventually caught on to the danger that evangelicals posed, and their utopian status dreams were in a bit of conflict with the kingdom of God. And so they started a persecution of Baptists and Pentecostals in 1929. So by the 1935, the number of evangelicals had been reduced by half. In just six years, 
half the evangelical population liquidated. Now you're wondering, well, what happened to Yvonne? Well, I'm glad that you asked that question. Um, in 1929, Stalin's secret police arrested him about midnight one night and shipped him off to the gulags. He had been accused of being a spy for imperialist America because the Assemblies of God denomination had been sending him some money to help him in his mission. His wife was also arrested, and they were um, shipped off to the gulags and... Uh, his wife, eventually 24 years later after Stalin died, was released. Um, Ivan, however, in 1937 met a very tragic end when he was thrown into a cell with ravenous, hungry dogs. And that's how he came to his end. Um, but we mention him not because of how he died, but because of how he lived. As a participant in the family business. So as we wrap up this morning, much more that we could say. I'm hoping we've been able to communicate a little bit that our Father invites us to maturity. There's a lot of stuff that He'd like us to do, but it all does go back to a relationship with Him built on this foundation of living in the promise of Jesus, learning how to pray, Letting God fill us with His Spirit, being willing to boldly speak His Word, and trusting that as we do that, that Acts chapter 19, verse 20, can actually be true here in the central belt of Scotland. And the Word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I'm just crazy enough to believe that God can do that again. What I'd like us to do as we close in prayer now is just to come before God and just very simply, wherever it is that you are with Jesus, we all have room to grow. Just, if you would, make a little place in your life for this call to maturity that God will draw you more fully to himself and more fully into his purposes. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, as we reflect on the amazing unfolding of your word in the book of Acts, even as we reflect on this more contemporary story of your gospel growth throughout Ukraine before the onslaught that Stalin brought, oh God. Father, we're both inspired, and if I'm honest, I'm deeply challenged, God. Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit. Lord, you've got something in yourself for every one of us. A place of growth, a place of greater maturity, and ultimately part of that, God, is participating in the family business. Lord, some of us here today, we, we really are just little children in the sense that we just need to be affirmed. Your sins are forgiven. The Father loves you. And that's what we need to hear this morning. Lord, others of us need to hear that it's okay when you say, come on, son, let's go chop some wood. And Father, for some of us, you're really challenging us to take a step and embrace this eternal perspective that we know him who has been from the beginning. Lord, wherever we are this morning, I pray that you would work in our lives by your Spirit. 
Bring us to yourself, O God. Accomplish your purposes, we pray, in our lives. Lord, also in this church, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Lord, also here in the central belt of Scotland, O God, Lord, it's our prayer together today as a family of believers. Lord, let your word win. Let your word grow mightily and prevail in Bathgate and Blackburn and Blackness and Whitburn and, Lord, all these outlying areas, God, let your word win. We ask this, O God, in Jesus' name. Do your work by your Holy Spirit, we pray, O God. Amen.